a series, if it's your first Sunday, we've been in a series, it's titled this, Scent. And the subtitle of this series is, is called Finding Purpose in Unexpected Places. And we're going to be turning to Acts 14 if you brought a Bible today. If you didn't, that's okay. We're going to be following along on the screen this morning. But here's what I know. Life throws us so many different curveballs. And included in that, in the curveballs, is our path is a path for each and every one of us to try to be successful people in this life. Each and every one of us, I really believe this, desires to be successful. Desires to live a life at the end of our life where we're like, we feel like we've done something fruitful, beneficial. We feel like we have purpose. And in this series, we've been talking about the idea that where there's people, there is purpose. Because God loves people. Jesus came to this earth to die for you and I as people. We are all sent people. So if we are all sent people, that means living life with other people, there is purpose. There's purpose wherever we are. There's purpose in our coworkers. There's purpose in our classmates. There's purpose in our family. There's purpose simply because wherever we're at, there are people. And people have a purpose. And God desires and loves people so much. And this morning, the title of the message, as I was thinking and preparing and praying over this this morning, the title of the message, if you're, if you, maybe if you're taking notes this morning, is this, Mixed Results. Here's what I know. Every success story in our world, in our lives, starts with a great idea. Somebody's like, everybody's going to like this, right? We're like, man, this is a great idea. It's going to be really, really successful. Like, I think about things that have influenced me in my life, and I'm just like, you know what? Sometimes you're just thankful for inventions. Like, for me... I'm thankful for the guy who invented Mountain Dew Baja Blast. Anybody, right? This delicious beverage that's mainly exclusive at Taco Bell. What I consider to be the greatest beverage of all time. I don't know who the guy is who invented it, but I'm thankful, right? Some of us are thankful for our favorite movies, right? Like, I'm thankful for the fact that the movie The Goonies was made, right? Favorite movie of all time. People are like, Stranger Things, all these kids and all that. That's just a cover-up because we can't have Goonies again, right? You're addicted to Netflix and Stranger Things because it's, it's basically just a Goonies rewrite. For some of us in the room, we're thankful for our favorite TV shows. And without a shadow of a doubt, I'll say it boldly this morning, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof, who created the greatest television show of all time called Lost, okay? No, hands down, I don't care. You could try to argue with me. You're wrong, okay? I'm thankful to them. Because it's the greatest TV show of all time. If you haven't watched it, watch it. If you're complaining about the ending or you're like, eh, it wasn't good because the ending, you're not thinking deep enough. So go back and watch it, okay? But I'm thankful for it, right? We have things in our life that we're thankful for. If we're a person who's starting a business, we're thinking to ourselves, who's my customer? Everybody. After all, our idea is going to change the world, right? Everybody's my customer. Everybody's going to like this. I have a grand and a great idea. But guess what? I don't think anyone actually believes that idea, that everyone's going to like it. Because no one ever has 100% liked every idea in the world, right? Let's think about something we're like, is super popular and successful. Facebook. We're like, everybody's on Facebook. Well, guess what? Not everybody likes Facebook or is down with Facebook because 68% of our country's population is on Facebook, which means 32% of the population isn't. 
And we think of Facebook being one of the big leading forces in our culture. But what happened? 68%. But people consider them to be at the top. Let's talk about Instagram. Instagram, if you have any young people or you have any youth in your life, kids even, Instagram is so popular. It's everything, right? 35% of the population, highly successful, but obviously not embraced by everyone. See, we believe this lie that success is 100%. We live with this idea that we have to define success by perfection. But there's a sobering idea that we need to embrace in this life, and it's the idea that no one or no thing has 100% success right. Can we release from the pressure of our shoulders as human beings living and breathing this morning that no one or no thing has 100% success rate? When you live your life with purpose, you are going to have mixed results. It comes with the territory of life. You maybe have a purpose. You may feel like you're living in the pocket of God's grace, but you will not have a 100% success rate. So be encouraged this morning. You should not carry the weight of expecting success to equal 100% buy-in. Release that pressure from your life and from your shoulders this morning. Life is filled with mixed results. Even when you feel like you're living in the complete pocket of purpose for your life, there's going to be mixed results. There's going to be people that don't like it. There's going to be people that don't like you. Welcome. We're in good company. We're in great company. Today's story we're going to be looking at is two characters in the Bible, Paul and Barnabas, right? They're on a mission to tell everybody about the good news of Jesus. Good news. Man, 100% buy-in, right? Jesus died for everyone. Buried. He died, buried, resurrection, humans, different, diverse, yet Jesus died for 100% of us. So you would expect with this peace, with this amazing good news, there'd be 100% buy-in. And I remind us that that same mission that Paul and Barnabas were on in telling people about this good news coincides with the same mission, the church in 2019 today, us as church people who have come here, maybe we affiliate ourselves with church, maybe not this morning. But this is, this is the same idea, principle, same mission Jesus called us to be a part of, to share about what Jesus has done. But as life often reminds us, and as Paul and Barnabas are about to, life has mixed results. When we're living out our calling, when we're trying to do good in the world, there's mixed results. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 14, 1 through 7. And then we're going to kind of break it down this morning. So up on the screen, Acts 14, 1 through 7, it says this, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively. Doing a great job, everybody. They were effective, what they did, right? That a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their, the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. 
But they found out about it and fled to Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we're just thankful for you. We echo the, the same theme that we sang this morning, the same posture we took during our time of communion. We just are just so thankful that you overcome the obstacles. You've given us an authority. So this morning, I pray that we would leave this place walking closer and more affirmed in that very authority you've given each and every one of us. Lord, we're so thankful this morning. Lord, change us from the inside out. Transform us. Lord, I, I know each and every person in this room is going to relate this morning in a different way, but that's the beauty of God. He, he relates to us in how he's created us, our personality, our viewpoints, the way we think, and we're thankful that today God wants to meet us personally and individually and relationally. So, Lord, we welcome you. We take a posture to say, Lord, speak, change, transform in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. So we're going to break this down this morning, and we're going to start off with that first verse and just work our way down and make some key observations and hopefully some helpful kind of applications to our life this morning. And we're going to go back up to the top of that, that story there in Acts 14 with verse 1. It says this, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Okay, mixed results in our life. We're going to have highs. We're going to have lows. High moment, right? Hey, we're on the mission of God. We're telling people about Jesus, and what do you know? People are down with it. People like it. People are believing. People's lives are being transformed simply not based on human effort, but by the idea of what Jesus has done for them as human beings. We have mountaintop seasons. We have seasons of our life where we really feel successful and confident and secure in who we are. We're seeing results, and we like them. We love them. We're like, man, I'm living out my calling. I have a purpose. I'm seeing results that reaffirm who I am and my identity and how I've uniquely been created. But then we get on to the next verse. Acts 14, 2. And reality hits, right? So let's look at that. But the Jews who refused to believe didn't only refuse to believe, but what did they do? They took it a step further. They stirred up the other Gentiles and poison their minds against the brothers. Man, I don't know about you this morning. That sounds pretty tough. This reminds me of the low moments in our life. This reminds us of the moments in our life that try to redefine the mountaintop moments. The ones that kind of try to creep in and, and lie to us and try to redefine who God's created us to be as breathing human beings, living with purpose. There's going to be lows in life. There's mountaintop seasons. But there's also valley seasons. There's mixed results. The seasons where you just feel like you can't do anything right. I hope you can relate to that this morning because, man, I find myself in that place all the time. Man, I can't seem to do anything Right. I'd like to believe we've all been there. Things aren't going our way. Sometimes that comes with itself. People who challenge your security and confidence. Isn't that just, isn't that just a bummer? And we see things like we see in verse 2. That there's other people that are being the mouthpiece. Being the liars on behalf of spiritual liars. 
that are speaking life and making your season more crappy than it already feels. It's a bummer. How do we find hope in the midst of that when we feel so broken? We feel so attacked. And it reminds me of what we've been reminding ourselves a lot in this series, is that evil spiritual power is very, very present in verse 2. There is a group of people that are taking a posture against other people, dividing, creating chaos. Oh, really, the gospel's good news? Well, guess what? I'm going to sabotage it and use my effort to poison the minds of other people. Because if you're, I got an agenda that's selfish. And if my agenda is not being fulfilled, and this agenda is actually for everybody, I will do whatever it takes to sabotage it. See, that's what evil spiritual power does. It tries to divide. It tries to build lies in our lives that we should be against other people. Divide. Create chaos. And we're reminded this morning, what does holy spiritual power look like? Well, we look at the example of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus sent his church, the Holy Spirit falls in power. And what does it do? The Holy Spirit sends people to other people. Leads them for people with a message that is for every human being. Affirms that we as human beings, no matter how broken, are reminded of God's purpose and value and how he sees us. See, evil spiritual power is constantly dividing and against people. Holy spiritual power brings us to people. Leads us to a posture for people, not against them. So what do they do? Because this is heavy. This is discouraging. What happens in the next verse? Let's look at Acts 14.3. So here's what what Paul and Barnabas do. They spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Haters going to hate. Haters are present. So what do Paul and Barnabas do? Because here's the deal. Verse 2. Hard season, people against you, lies, quit. Do they quit? Do they give up? You know what's encouraging? They don't. And what does the Bible show us the posture they take when they hit the low season? What is the posture they take when they're coming off the mountaintop season and now they're in the reality of mixed results, right? Not 100% success. Do they quit immediately and give up when times get hard? When there is valley seasons. No. In fact, the Bible shows us they go deeper. They spend considerable time with these people. They don't automatically write people off because of the opposition. I love this. They don't generalize the hurts that they've experienced and begin to apply it to everyone. The lie that everyone is against me. We forget, we redefine the mountaintop, the successes, the who God has created us to be. We need to be reminded of constantly because there's, there's value in that. You know what's amazing? They stick it out, they go deep, and what becomes the product? Miracles begin to happen. They don't give up. They press through, even when it's hard. They push through the lies, and miracles begin to manifest. 
You know what's amazing about that? It forces God to be God, and it forces us to be humans. Because there's impossible people out there. You know, the ones that we want to write off so easily. Yeah, I understand God's grace is so big. But our, our knee-jerk is to say, but I'm done. See, when supernatural witness of God's grace to impossible people shows up, it puts everyone in their place. Verse 14.3, let's, yeah, it's up on the screen there. Yeah, let's go back to 14.3 there. They spend considerable time there. They speak boldly for the Lord. And what happens? Miraculous signs are there to back them up. The people who are unbelievers, they need a little bit more of a nudge. The people that, they're, that the hater's going to hate, okay, not 100% success rate, but let's up it a little bit more and let's let God be God. But here's what we need to do. We have to position ourselves to allow that part to happen. We can't quit. Our immediate reaction to the disappointments of life do not give us permission to immediately say, I'm done. I give up. And when you position yourself in a place where you're saying, we got to go deep, man, God begins to show up in a really, really powerful way. God gets to be God. You and I get to be humans that couldn't have performed only what God can do. Because we can be effective. They were effective. We know they were effective. Let's not even include God in the equation. They were good speakers. They were good communicators. People were believing God had given them that gift. That is God's grace on their life because he's created them that way. But then there's this moment, you see, where the natural gifting that God created you gifting wears off and we need to invite spiritual power in. But it makes and demands for us to be positioned in such a way where we say, I don't quit. But it's so easy to. But we gotta be able to labor with the differences. We gotta be able to push through. We've gotta be able to push through the discouragement when it comes to the lies trying to redefine who God's called us to be, but it takes a proper positioning on our part. Are you positioning yourself long enough in difficult circumstances to make room for God to show up? Are you pushing through? Are you going deep? Are you buying into the lies and the discouragement? Or are you continuing on? God is a God of relationship, and relationships take time to develop, to heal, to restore, to build trust. Your effectiveness may be great. You're going to have some easy wins, and you're going to have some disappointing losses. But God cares about people enough that even in the midst of the disappointing losses, don't write others off so quickly because God still has a heart to get a hold of them. God still has a heart to remind you that relationships and trust take time. Sometimes it takes getting down with people and inviting God's grace in a supernatural power to extend love to people, maybe the very people that are causing chaos and division in our lives. And it continues in Acts 14.4. The people of the city were divided. What do you know? There's not unity. 
not one big happy family. The ones who are against this good news, this great product, this living in the clouds, 100% success rate idea that's going to work for everybody that Jesus did and wanted to include everybody to experience the abundant life that he offers as us as human beings, but people were divided. And it says some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. There was division after time and investment. Once again, not 100% success rate. They didn't give up right away. They pushed through. They saw some wins, but there was a massive division. Not 100%. Still mixed results. Don't give up, but also don't expect, expect the bar to go up to 100% success either. There's still mixed results. There's still division. And here's what's so interesting. It's over the same topic. God. These are Jews. As in God's people. The ones bearing the name of God. Israelites. You know that family that God made a covenant with throughout what we call in our Bible the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the covenant people that he loves that are mad and are divided now about what God's doing in the present. How do we reconcile this division? With unity. How does my life help unite others together? How does your life help unite others together? Because if we're seeing division anywhere in our life, or if that's on our radar, we have an opportunity to be uniters. It's interesting. What were Paul and Barnabas preaching? Well, as Ephesians chapter 6 tells us, they were preaching a gospel of peace. This is a peaceful gospel. This is good news that Jesus, once again, affirms every human and says, Man, embrace this abundant life that I have to offer for you and the fact that you are a human who falls short, who messes up, who is imperfect. Embrace what I've done so that you don't need to bear the weight of thinking that you need to be God and perfect. This gospel of peace that brings everyone together on a human level. But it was divided. See, for the Jewish people, that for which they had longed for was there but it didn't look like they thought it would or should. Jews thought they were God's nation without the promise to bless the nations of the earth. You see, the Jewish people had got so positioned themselves in a place where they were so excited about being God's people, they forgot why they were God's people. Because the original promise said, you are going to be a nation to bless every nation on the earth. And Jesus comes and it all starts clicking and making sense for everyone else. But for the Jewish people, for those on behalf of God, it wasn't making sense because it stopped being about them. It was a divided mess. This was a divided religious mess. And here's where it helps remind us. It's not good at all just trying to say you're united. Because people don't buy it. People don't buy what you're telling them if you say you're united and it's obviously not true. No one buys right now. We are the United States of America. I'm not buying it because I don't see it. We're all on the same team, Christians say, when in the same breath they bash other churches. No one's buying that. 
Because you can say you're all about unity, but then you bash other people that are supposedly on the same team with you. No one buys just sayings. See, unity's tough. We have to live it. We have to create it. We have to sustain it in our communities where this life is being lived in such a way that when we speak of it, we are obviously telling the truth. That's the hard part. That's the difficult part. Not just talking biblical things, but doing what? Living them. I love what N.T. Wright said. There's a quote that's going to be up on the screen as I was reading and studying this week. I think it was really pertainable. He said this, As long as our churches are places where we struggle to sustain an hour or two's public worship per week with real life only minimally affected by it, we will indeed end up like a bunch of vaguely religious cows in a field mooing on Sunday mornings and chewing the cud the rest of the time. That's, that's convicting. I don't know about you. That's sometimes painful to read because it demands more out of us. It demands real life, reality, merging with this idea of faith. It demands more out of than a couple hours a week. It demands a lifestyle change. It demands an embracing of a new thought process, a new government, a new reality, a new power. The solution to division is and will always be unity. But division sells today. Division is so easy. Division is so humanly easy, accessible, and right in front of us each and every day to partake in. Since we're talking about unity, let's, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Let's, let's figure out what this what this is all about, because I think Paul helps us define this as he's, as he's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Right? Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the what? Spirit. Not your idea of unity, not how you define unity, not what united means to you, but what God defines through his spirit. See, we get to decide whether we're jumping in with that unity or not. How God defines unity. It's his unity. It's the unity of his spirit through the bond of peace. See, a gospel of peace. Yet, with mixed results. I often think about what Jesus said when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This gospel of peace. And as the same Holy Spirit who provides unity for us, empowers us to be witnesses to other people. See, he's the one who's sending us to be for people. But he's also the one who empowers us to have strength in the midst of our mixed results, right? And I think a verse, I feel like the Lord's just been really speaking to me that we oftentimes forget is out of Genesis chapter 1 that we're going to look at as well. And I think it really has to do with this idea of unity. How are we unified as people? Because it's so easy to jump on how we're divided. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in what? In his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. 
here's the thing. I get you and I fall short. I get you and I are imperfect. I get that you and I don't have the human capacity to do right. I understand that you and I are what we would call humans that are depraved. But here's what's also true about you and I. We are all created in the image of God, which means each and every person on this earth has dignity, has worth, has purpose. And we have believed the lie and we've created enemies and we've bought into fear to divide ourselves and the enemy wins every time. We forget this verse, we erase it, we throw it away. And we base our life and even sometimes our faith on our differences. But this reminds us, even though you're imperfect, even though you're a sinner, guess what? You don't have the right to have a perspective other than the fact that you affirm that everyone has worth. Everyone deserves dignity. We are created in God's image. Let's put up cliches, because I love Christian cliches. I've said this. Some of you have said this. Some of you have been on the receiving end of this. Love the sinner. Hate the sin. It's a cliche. And unfortunately, it's given many people the right to justify how they define love and hate. And people have been on the receiving end of this phrase... And have not received love that Jesus defined on the cross that served those very people that became his enemies, as Pastor Callie alluded to in communion today. See, this can get so twisted because we could say, yeah, I'm just, I'm loving you, but this is how I'm loving you because I hate sin in your life. You get to decide where the love and hate scale, you get to wiggle it around And you get to include your own human terms of judgment and division. Keyword division. But I like this phrase as Tony Campalo has coined it. Because I think this is a little bit more helpful. Love the sinner, hate your own sin. Define it under how Jesus defines love. A new command I give to you. Love in the way that I have loved you. We can define love any way we want, but I love how Jesus defines perfect love, which was on a cross that died for us while we were still sinners. And then I also love when Jesus preached the greatest sermon of all time, and he focused less on the judgment and the sin of you focusing on other people, and he said, why don't you take a good look at this heart first? Why don't you first deal with this? We would rather judge others and divide than use that God-given energy to take a hard look in the mirror every day. I was thinking about this this week. What would happen to us if we flipped that scale and were more familiar with our sins and imperfections than every single imperfection of everybody else? Are you comfortable with your own sin? Are you aware of where you're missing the mark at a nuanced scale that you might be angry about? That you might say, I really want this to change. I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about my own sin, where I'm missing the mark. What would the world look like if we were more familiar, obsessed, and in tune with our own mistakes? Here's what I do know. 
be a lot less divided. I think Jesus was on to something. Let's continue. Acts chapter 14, 5. There was a plot afoot among the both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. Okay. Division starting to shift into a new gear. Division's becoming hostile. Division is looking like another D word, and it's creeping into a word that we call death. Danger. See, there's a difference between division and danger. Division and death. As followers of Jesus, Jesus says we are called to carry our own cross. We are called to suffer. But he also sent us on a specific mission, too, and said, go, go fulfill my mission. Both, both carry weight. We suffer, but we also use wisdom, and we've got to carry out the mission he's called us to carry. So those, those two ideas are constantly in tension. Division is not the same as death. And I'll say this. In our current culture, we're seeing a lot of division. But are we literally seeing the threats of death for faith? For being a person of peace who shares the gospel of peace. I want to ask a really sobering question for us concerning our religious freedoms today. When's the last time, time somebody physically threatened you because of your faith? Let's say in the past six months. Anybody? See, we're not, we're not here yet. But I'll be the first to tell you, be honest with you, in the past six months, I've been. So when I show up this morning, I'm looking at this morning through a different lens when I see violence. When I see a shooting last night and I hear of a shooting this morning. I'm walking in this morning preaching a gospel of peace. And I got to be honest with you, it's hard for me to reconcile because I'm a little bit scared. A gospel of peace is offensive on its own. A gospel that says Jesus dies for others while they are still sinners is offensive to people who love division and judgment. Just going to share what kind of frustrates me at times. People leading with fear and claiming persecution against Christianity in America behind computer screens who have not actually ever been physically threatened. And they're using the same rhetoric that was used to actually physically threaten me. My family. The reality I have to carry as a person vulnerable who stands up here every week and has to reconcile, will this be my fate? Because this is where it's, we're headed. For me, my family. Because it's happened. To me. It's a reality I'm wrestling with. I relate to this verse so much because... I feel like I've seen and I've learned a tiny sliver of the same truth that Paul and Barnabas experienced about really, what really riles people up. In my viewpoint, what really riles people up is when you love other people that other people don't want to love. That riles people up. The haters get riled up. 
that is a gospel of peace, and it spiritually stirs things and causes things that I don't know how to process as a pastor in 2019 fully yet. This is all fresh. This is all being processed. But I don't think it's coincidence that this is where we're at this morning and what we're looking at. When you love people other people don't want to love, hate is not going to like it. And it finishes off here in Acts 14, 6 through 7. But they found out about it. And what did they do? They fled. They're carrying the, the tension of suffering. But they're also carrying the tension of we got a mission to do. And they make a decision out of wisdom to say, it's time to move on. They found out about it. People wanted to stone them. It started getting, leading towards death. We're getting out of here. And they flee. They go to the cities of Lystra, Derby, and to the surrounding country where they did what? They continued. They continued to preach the gospel. Here's, here's what I want to encourage us with this morning. The mixed results of today don't tell the whole story. Iconium, guess what? Ends up becoming this place where they visited, this place where they had mixed results, this place they had to flee because of death threats, stoning. They have mixed results, but Iconium, as we know through church history, becomes one of the biggest centerpieces for the Christian faith simply because of the seeds that Paul and Barnabas decided to plant, used wisdom, pushed through when it was hard, and used the wisdom and the tension of their suffering to say, okay, it's time to continue on in the mission. We've suffered enough, but we've got a mission to do. Despite persecution, these apostles, these leaders had significant support. So I want to encourage us this morning. Keep doing the next best thing you know to do. And know that it's enough. Life can be so overwhelming. You're going to get mixed results, but keep planting good seed. Keep knowing what you can do today that is good seed is enough. Take care of what God is asking from you today and do it. Plant that seed. You're going to get mixed results, but what you don't know is the fruit that you're going to see on the other side of the seeds that you're planting and taking care of today. Be encouraged. No one has a 100% success rate. Even Jesus' message. If Jesus' message of good news does not have a 100% success rate, let it go this morning and take care of the one next best thing you know to do to plant good seed today. Because when you do that, you never know the mystery of the results that you're going to see down the line of what God is going to do. I want to end with this. It just struck me this, this week. Let's end on this question. Do you think the church in America is in trouble today? A lot, a lot of opinions about this one. I read a quote this week. I was listening to a podcast this week, and, and I, I heard a perspective that I thought, it really encouraged me. It stuck with me. And I want to leave on the, the quote from, from a, a fellow church leader who, who said this in response to that question. He said, there's never been a time where we have more resources, data, 
and technology that we can leverage. And there has never been a time where people are more needy for genuine, authentic relationships, where in the age of technology, they need somebody to come alongside them. Loneliness, mental health, depression. This sounds like a great time for the church to close the gap. Come on, somebody. If you didn't feel like you walked in with purpose today, walk out with some optimism. If you walked in with a little Jesus syndrome or a little church syndrome that says everybody else is winning, we're doom and gloom, remind yourself that everything else in this world submits under Jesus' feet. And we are invited to be a part of the process and the solution to the problems that we're seeing in this world. Jesus' prayer was a great one when he said, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's Close the gap between heaven and earth. Let's plant good seeds today. The best thing you know to do to be obedient to Jesus today, do it and know that it's enough. And you're planting seeds for a future for revival. You're planting seeds for a future where things aren't being revived in those who have fallen away. But we're figuring out how to live in a culture where people are being introduced for the first time to Jesus. And we're not just saying it. We're living it. We're being it. Because we're people of purpose and we refuse to be people that submit under the lies of the enemy of our souls. Can we pray this morning?